I was listening to this passage a few weeks ago and as I listened, a couple of things really struck me. Um, part of it is because we've been here a year, um, nearly a year in St. Saviour's in Lark Hall. And part of it was reflecting on some of the things that have happened up to this point. And, and this passage really spoke to me and that's what I want to share with you today. So two things caught my attention. The first is, it's really unusual, I think, that Simon Peter goes out to fish in waters that he would have known well. He's an experienced fisherman. He's with friends who I imagine had been along with him. He's got the skills, the expertise. Yeah, he comes back with nothing. And that must have been very disappointing. He must have been annoyed and probably wondered how he was going to feed his family, if he had family, or how he was going to, you know, he'd expected to go out and, and get some fish and he didn't. Then he goes out again, turns around, goes out again, nets the other side and comes back with so much, so much that he, he almost can't carry them onto the beach. The stark difference between those two scenarios, which essentially were the same waters, the same boat, the same nets, the same people. It's like one of those science experiments you do at school and you keep all these variables the same. And then the one thing changes and you can have really different results. So what was the one thing that changed? Well, thinking about it, it made me reflect on times in my life where perhaps I had been working so hard for something, where I've put so much energy and time and investment into something, like a project or a relationship, and I, I just haven't got what I thought I was going to get. I've been disappointed or I just... It wasn't what I thought was going to happen. I felt like I deserved it to go better than it did. Most recently, I went for a job. It was locally in school. I haven't been for a job for a very long time because I've been having children. And um, it was a post that didn't require a qualified teacher. But I thought, well, I've got some leadership experience. Um, you know, let's go for it. I spent masses of time preparing for it reading books and pouring over websites and podcasts and blogs and talking to experts. And um, I think on the day I was pretty happy with my presentation. My interview was a little bit rusty, but I felt overall I'd done okay. Three days later, they called me and said, you didn't get the job. It, you know, it was hard. It was humbling because I think I thought I was qualified enough. So I wasn't right. And I think I was able to say, you know what, God, it's I, I, it, it's your plan and that's, I get it. And actually, since then, I now have a job that I love. I love the company I'm working for. I love the people I work with. I can do it all from home. It works with the children. And so quite quickly, God was able to show me this one wasn't for you. Um, and I think now I can say that but there are times in my life where I found that very challenging. If I just uh, take you back to 2009, I go on a date in a London pub, Notting Hill, and uh, we order some meal where we ended up having red cabbage and I ate all the red cabbage off his plate and we kind of just got lost in our own world for the whole evening and actually then for quite some weeks after, um, fast forward, a year, I marry the man I had red cabbage with. That's uh, 
marry the American. And uh, as many couples do when they get married and we were a bit older, we were 30, we said, you know, let's, let's try for a family. I'd always wanted, I think, two children. And um, got pregnant, lost the baby, um, got pregnant again, lost the baby. Third time, meanwhile, all my friends are getting pregnant, posting pictures of their babies. Uh, it, I go for my 12-week scan. It's the day before we fly out to Florida for Christmas. We're going to have this wonderful Christmas in the sun. Uh, you know, I'll be able to announce to everyone that I'm pregnant. We're going to see Rob's parents. We go for a scan in, in London and she puts the wand on and it's not going to be a viable pregnancy. And then followed two really difficult weeks where there was loads of snow at Heathrow. We couldn't fly. Our flight was cancelled twice. We were schlepping out to Heathrow and then back. We hadn't made any plans for Christmas because we were meant to be in America. I'm waiting for this miscarriage. Uh, and I'm feeling really down. I feel, I feel embarrassed that I can't give Rob a baby. I feel humiliated that I can't keep a baby that lives. I feel upset. I, I'm cross that God won't give me a baby. I feel ashamed. I feel like maybe God's punishing me for the way I behaved in my 20s. I had a pretty wild 20s. And maybe this is what happens. This is, you know, God's teaching me a lesson. And at the time, Rob said, don't be ridiculous. We have a gracious, loving, merciful God. He's not punishing you. But it was really hard for me to accept that this was God's will. And I found that very, very challenging. Um, fast forward, here we are. We have four children, which is a gift, a gift beyond all gifts. And I'm thankful for them every day. It hasn't all been plain sailing. I've had seven miscarriages. Most recently last year, it was a very tough year for us last year. Rob was looking for a job. Uh, we found out we were having a baby. Uh, he was interviewing, it was COVID. I had a nudge to go for a scan at 11 weeks. Rob was away at an interview. I went um, and I sat on my own outside in this, it was a gorgeous day and I sat on this bench and I said, Lord, if this baby is for you, then I, I offer it to you. And uh, I went inside and they showed me a picture of this perfectly formed baby with hands and eyes and, and no heartbeat. And it was a very difficult time. I felt very, I felt very sad. I, I was sitting in the waiting room with lots of other girls who all had photos of their baby. And I, I was, that was not going to be for me. But I felt in amidst all that, I felt a great sense of peace and a great sense that I wasn't alone, that God was with me. And it, after that, it was, I had to go back for so many scans and I was in and out of hospital for two or three months while we tried to kind of fix things. And I, I, I know that it was God's will. It was hard. Now you can say, well, you've got four children. It probably wasn't as bad as 10, 12 years ago when you were first trying. And maybe that's true. But it encouraged me that God is with us and he will provide for us just as he did with Simon Peter. The second time Simon goes out, he comes back with so many fish. 
the difference being that, that Jesus had willed that. And when it's under Jesus' will, when we're building his kingdom, he, he will provide. He will provide. I've been listening to a really good podcast recently called uh, Redman and Riddle. Matt Redman is a worship leader and songwriter. We sing quite a few of his songs here. Jeremy Riddle is also a worship leader and songwriter over in the States. And they do this sort of this versus that, like encounter versus entertainment. It sounds a bit cheesy, but it's it's a really good podcast. And the one I was listening to was called Marketing Versus the Mantle. It was talking about the power of marketing in a, in a Christian world where there can be quite a lot of self-promotion. And they quoted this uh, the line from Toza's book in 1948, so many years ago, who said, promoting self under the guise of promoting Christ is currently so common as to excite little notice. I'll say that again. Promoting self under the guise of promoting Christ is currently so common as to excite little notice. And I wondered if there are times where I have promoted myself under the guise of promoting Christ, and I am sure I can think of times. I can think of times where I've wanted something so badly for the church or for a group I'm leading. Actually, was this building my kingdom or building his kingdom? Have we lost sight of what his kingdom is? And I, I was also listening to a, a talk recently where someone said, do we want to be someone in the kingdom of God? Do we want to be someone significant in the kingdom of God? Or do we want to do something significant? And I think we'd all say, we want to do something. We want to do something significant. So what, what do we need to do then? Well, the gospels are really clear about what we need to do. John says, follow Jesus at the end of his gospel. Mark says, go and preach. Matthew says, go and make disciples, baptize and teach. And Luke says, wait on the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're called to do. We need to be fishers of men. We need to evangelize. Now, I'm sure some of you are going, Yay, finally, Cam, you got to the point. Yes, evangelist, that's me. I'm, I'm all in. What, what are you going to tell me? And then others might be thinking, oh, gosh, inward eye roll. The evangelist, Christian, blunt-edged tool we're being hit over the head with. Well, just park those there for the moment because I wanted to tell you about three people. In 2000, 2000 2001, I was at university and my dad had said, you should really go to uh, Holy Trinity Brompton. I'd grown up in very traditional Anglican church where I went to Sunday school because I liked the biscuits. And I'd been at university, I hadn't really been going to church properly since I was about 14, 15. So I thought, gosh, dad's going to ring again tonight. I'm, I'm going to have to tell him that I've, I've gone, so let's go. So I went at a kind of six o'clock service. I think I thought there'd be about 20 people there. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I was completely overwhelmed by what I saw you know, 15-piece band, people falling on the floor, singing, dancing, 800 people. Wow, this is what church could be like. And it's not to say that what I'd grown up with was wrong. It just suddenly connected with me at this age, at this point in my life, at 22. Wow, this is this is what church can be. So I started going kind of two, three weeks. And on about, I think, week four, somebody came alongside me and said, hey. I was like, oh, no, here we go. Oh, no, I'm going to be roped in. 
but actually she was delightful and she did rate me in and we went for a drink at the pub and I met lots of very cool people I think up to that point I found Christians a bit awkward I'm sure that says much more about me than it does them but I started to get into a community and we prayed together I then went along to the alpha course that Nikki Gumbel was doing at um, HTB there were no flashy videos there it was just him on a stage with 800 people but so began my my journeying with Jesus to, to where I am now and evangelism in that point looked like Nina just coming alongside me and saying do you want to come for a drink and just discipling me she didn't know at the time but it was instrumental Fast forward 10, 12 years, it's 2013. I've just had Ralph, he's four weeks old. We've moved to America. Max is a rather shell-shocked 18-month-old. And we're in Durham, North Carolina. I didn't even know where it was before Rob said, that's where I'm going to Divinity. Uh, I'd given up my job. Uh, we just bought this house. Um, and we're, it's Sunday morning and we're late to this church that somebody had recommended. I'm carrying the car seat, uh, Rob's got Max, and we're walking up to the church. And it was one of those awkward moments where we could see somebody had just gone through the door, but we were further enough away that she didn't need to hold the door open. And so the door kind of closed and I was, I was trying to get to the door and I was ready to open it because all American doors open towards you. I got very good at that. But I was kind of, I just felt really awkward and I felt really out of my comfort zone and I felt you know this is what wow, this is such a change I've lost my identity I'm not a teacher anymore I'm, I'm, I'm a mum and I've got two children and I, I don't know anything about where I am anyway she then had stayed inside and then opened the door for us with this huge smile and said welcome and I suddenly thought oh gosh okay I feel okay so she showed us where to sit where I could go and feed if I needed to or where Max could go to a group and at the end of the service, she came over and said, you know, what, what do you need? And I said, right now, I'd, I'd love a cup of tea. She said, hot tea? Hot tea. In America, everyone, if you want a cup of tea, it's a hot tea. So she got me a hot tea and she said, what else do you need? And I said, oh, gosh, I, you know, I need a doctor for my four-week-old. I need to register him. I, I need, I don't know how to pay the taxes on a house. I don't know where the local supermarket is. And so began an incredible friendship with her over three years where she had two children very similar age. We just did life together uh, where the struggles of, of parenting, of feeling overwhelmed by the tiniest of things, feeling like you get to the end of the day and haven't really done anything. And we joked about writing this book called Finding God in Folding the Laundry because we hated folding clothes. But she taught me to be really vulnerable and she showed me what it was to be honest and to lay things at God's feet. And she showed me how to pray and she she taught me how to, to build relationships with my children, with friends. And evangelism there looked like lots of different things, but it started with opening a door. And she needn't have. She could have just gone and sat down and then just left me to have a coffee at the end of the service. But it was so life-changing for me in those three years. And we're still very close. And I spent an hour with her on FaceTime last week. Fast forward again. It's 2021. We're here in Lark Hall. And uh, two ladies had gone out with their little bags of joy. 
come across a mum in Fairfield Park with three children in a small flat, not much money at all. Uh, and one of the ladies said, look, would you like to meet up with us all for a, for a you know, play date? She's got two ch um, children who are similar ages to yours. I said, yeah, um, great. Okay, 8.30 on Friday morning. It was Easter holidays. 8.30, gosh, that's a bit early. Okay, and she said, I think she mentioned something about a picnic. So it's, it's eight in the morning, I'm trying to find hats and gloves and can't find them. Suddenly remembered it was a picnic, grab the flapjack box out of the um, fridge, get them all in the van, get to the park, meet this lovely mum, lovely mum, and suddenly feel a bit more relaxed and a bit like, okay. And we go onto the field area and we, we lay out the, the picnic. And this mum, who's from Eastern Europe, um, brings out this huge cake, this big. And she said, you know, back, back where, where I'm from, we, we have this as a celebration cake. And then she gets out the separate pot of icing sugar that she sprinkles over the top, gets this knife and cuts these huge pieces. And of course, my kids are like, this is great. And then brings out an Easter egg for all my children. This is somebody I've never met. Then a spare Easter egg for all my children to take home. And I reach into my bag and I bring out my flapjack box and I think, this, this lady has taught me so much in this moment about what it means to love unconditionally, to be generous, to be joyful in the cold when she you know, didn't have much, I'm sure. And she had so much joy and she was so happy to be with us. And here she is teaching me and I'm the vicar's wife and surely I should be the one. Not at all. Why should I be the one? She is teaching me so much in this moment. So evangelism then, was a very, it looked very different. She was showing me something and in that moment it drew me so much closer to God because I could see the, the pure love that, that she had for us all in this, in, in, in this picnic. So evangelism looks very different in different ways and in different situations. And, and all those people probably didn't know what they were doing in my life at the time. And when we have those conversations with people, we don't always know how that conversation is building on something else. But what I think we are called to do is to go into every conversation, trying to show people the love that that God has for them and to draw them into this amazing relationship that they can have with our Father. And that might look like holding a door open. It might look like going along to that Bible study when you don't really feel like it. Or inviting that person for a coffee when you may not normally. But what I do know is that in those situations, God will provide. You know, Simon Peter, was overwhelmed with the provision because it was the Lord's will and, and Jesus had ordained that catching of the fish. And so as we go into our week and we're having those conversations, how can we draw people in into that, into this incredible relationship that we know that we have? That we're vulnerable with God, that he meets us where we are and that in our fears and our worries and our pain, he gives us over and over what we need. 
And how can we bring that to everyone? Not because we want them in church at 10.30. I mean, they might come, but not because we want to be the first church to be this or the last church or the only church that... Because we want them to experience the pure joy of the Holy Spirit and of the relationship and the love that we know God has for, for them. And so I pray for that. I pray that God shows me where these situations are, that I'm doing it on his will and not mine, and that I'm open to those situations. Even if it means I might be late for something or I might have to change the way I am or the way I think. And I pray that prayer for you too. Amen.